So I want to begin this morning. We're looking at our third week. How many's enjoyed the Asking for a Friend series so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're looking at our third week of the series. And, and this week, we're going to be looking at why does bad things happen to good people? You know, why does bad things happen to good people? Let me just ask, in the last month, has anything bad happened to you? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Let me ask you this. In the last month, have you guys done anything good in the last month? Okay. <laughs> well, you guys are really honest. <laughs> You're like, nothing bad, but I really haven't done anything good either. You know? I have a feeling you've probably done some good stuff, you know. And, and, and I, if I, I think every one of us, in some ways, we feel like we're pretty good. You know, we're pretty decent people, you know. And um, nobody's, you know, out there um, robbing, stealing, and killing, you know, hopefully. Um, maybe a few. I know who our audience is. And maybe a few. No. Um, <laughs> But when it comes down to it, um, we're, the, the, the bad things happen to good people. I mean, it's a part of our world. We see pain and strife and struggle. And I want to wrap our brains around that today if we can, okay? I just want to wrap our hearts and our minds around that. So if you would, let's stand to our feet. We're going to start with Scripture. And um, we're going to start in the beginning because I think in the beginning is a good place to start when you're dealing with the origin of stuff. So if there's the origin of pain, if there's the origin of suffering, let's go all the way back to it and begin to understand a little bit <coughs> about the origin of suffering. And so when it comes to Genesis 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, the, the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That sounds pretty good. So you're going to be in this garden. You're going to be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor. You know, we see later on how the curse came and struggles came and strife came with that. But when it came down to it, you know, you see them being placed there and they have some options. They have some choices. And the first choice that they're given is that they can eat every tree of the garden. That's a pretty good choice. You can eat anything you want. Look at all the provision that's out here. But, say but. but. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And so here's an opportunity for you. You have all this that you can partake of. But this one thing over here, this choice, say choice. choice. You have to make. You can't choose that. And I don't know about you guys, like a two-year-old that's like, I can't choose that. I got to choose that. I, I'm not supposed to do that. I want to do that. You know, that's bad for me. I know, and it's going to feel so good. Why is it? But that's just how our human nature is. I get it. But there's this innate ability for us to choose to choose to experience all this or that. That one choice. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely have your seats. Father, right now, over the next few minutes, I ask, Lord, that you'd visit our hearts and help us to understand the darkness in our world. Help us to understand the pain, the suffering, the struggles, the strife. Lord God, help us to understand those things that keep us up at night. Help us to understand, and, and Lord God, to be able to find hope in the midst of that darkness, I pray, Jesus. We ask for that right now. In your name, I pray, Lord. Amen. We, as a global community, throughout the last century especially, experienced some of the darkest hours of our, of our whole existence as a, as a humanity. We saw everything from the European ethnic cleansing that took place that took from us not just 6 million Jews, but over 50 million people. We saw 
in, in, in time, the, the Rwandan genocide that took place. We saw the killing fields of Cambodia. And I say all those things, and all those things seem really distant and really far. For some of us, Columbine strikes a nerve, but there's been so many shootings that Columbine doesn't even hurt anymore. Not like it once did. Those are things still kind of distant from us. When I begin to think about suffering and pain as a pastor that I've had to experience through the years with people, alongside of people, trying to assuage them, trying to bring the peace of God in the midst of it. And the whole time I'm trying, I'm saying, God, why? I don't get it. I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. I don't understand it, God. I don't get it. I can remember being in a meeting and getting a phone call from a 25-year-old young lady saying, you got to get to me, Pastor. I just found my mother dead. And I go there, and when I go there, the police officer says, please step across the seal of the room. And as I look down at the floor, I see a spent shell. As I walk a few steps into the room, I see the woman had blown her brains out the night, what, three nights before. She laid dead for three days as her blood caked upon her face. She had a pain journal. She was going through intense Physical pain, her, her literal brain, her head hurt so bad with migraines and intense pain. And the doctor had her pain journaling. And in her pain journal, her last entry was, why, God, does it have to hurt so bad? And I'm just thinking, this isn't fair. So I've got to go out and kneel before this little 25-year-old young lady whose life imploded after that. There's nothing good, it doesn't seem, that came from that. I get a call, and I rush to the hospital, and there's a man, a friend of mine, who had been shot twice in his stomach, and he's laying there dead on the gurney. When I laid him to rest there in the church in the funeral, his little mama, Gloria, she, she crawls up in the casket, wailing and screaming, not because her only boy was gone, her only child was gone. A mentor of mine, Vietnam vet, Ron Hughes, loved Ron. Served from the time I can remember as a little guy. Served men and boys in a program called Royal Rangers, which was a very spirit-filled, very Christian-oriented Boy Scout kind of a ministry. And, man, he sowed into us. I can't tell you how many preachers are out here because of Ron Hughes. But Agent Orange took his organs. And as a fairly young man, early 50s, went to see Jesus. We'd offer communion every year at Christmas time, just like we do here. And I can just remember the first year having to do communion with the Hughes family. And there's Ron's place, and it's missing. It made my heart heavy. Ron was a good man. It's a Wednesday. I just got done teaching the Bible school that Pastor Jared and Pastor Corey graduated from. And I just got finished teaching some classes, and I got a call. You got to get to the hospital. One of our young men, Tim, he was a fireman, and... He's passed away. He's had a car crash. And so I take, I think it was Jared, I can't remember who all went with me, and we went to the hospital. And at the hospital, this young man laid there on the gurney. He was dead, mangled his body. He had missed an S curve while he was, or a, a right curve while he was going to work about 5.30 in the morning, going to the fire, firehouse, and had just tumbled his car over and over and over. And I'll never forget it, and I don't want to sound dramatic, it just it still just lingers in my nostrils. I'm a hunter, and, and it just, I could just smell death. And, it just, and all I could think of was, Tim's not an animal to lay here and be dead like this, but he's a child of God. And now a highway patrolman and myself, we've got to go and get before a little 19-year-old bride and explain to her <clears throat> that her husband's dead. 
The sad thing about that was not that her husband was dead. It was just the sad thing about that was that six days before, the day I buried him, I married that couple. They didn't even have a week together in marriage. Not even a week in marriage. And here's the thing. I don't know what you're going through. Hard times in your marriage, hard times in your finances, hard times in your health. I don't know what that darkness looks like in your life. You know, I just don't know what that looks like. But I know at times it causes me, when I have those dark times, to question, God, where are you? God, why is bad things happening to good people? I'm trying to serve you down here. It's not going so well. And I can show you the silver lining in most of those stories. I wish I could say every one of them. But I can tell you this. Nine months later, the pain of that little mama's heart losing her husband. Nine months later, less than a week before they celebrated their first week anniversary of marriage. And from her womb, through the pain of childbirth, came a light. And Tim, post-mortem, became a daddy. That light, that little, little Tim Jr., that little light, No matter how much pain, it was so horrible what happened to dad, but that little light was love from God above to that family. Time and time again, they would speak of what that little one meant to them. They could see Tim in that little boy's eyes, in Tim Jr.'s eyes. So all I'm saying is no matter how dark it is, in the darkness, I believe that God comes and pierces it with the light of his love. And now here's the thing about that. So often in our life, people will say, well, with everything being like it is in the world, with all the bad in the world, with all the evil in the world, how can God exist? You've heard that said, right? But then I start to see the light that I see that shines in each of you in the midst of the hell you go through. And I think to myself, how could God not exist? And so my challenge, even at the beginning of the sermon, is when we're looking at the world, when we're looking at our suffering, are we looking to the light? Are we looking to the love? Are we seeing how God is piercing it? Or are we allowing our hearts to dip in faith and dip in disbelief and move into a place of bitterness and rejection of the things of God? Amen? And you know what's wild about this light is you can kind of see me if I put it up close, you know? If I'm close to it, I sense and experience the, the blessing of it, Right? It makes sense to me that we would ask the question, how can bad things happen to good people? I think really when it comes down to it, the question that we probably are thinking of is not so much how can bad things happen to good people. It's the idea of is God is a God of love? Why is there so much pain in the world? If God's a God of love, how many times have I ever felt that way before, you know? Am I alone in that? Just If God's a God of love, if God's, and there's darkness and there's pain and there's struggling and there's tension, if he's a God of love, why am I experiencing this? God, if, I, if you're a God of love, why are you putting me, I'm one of yours. Have you ever said that before? I'm a child of God and I'm facing this. Yeah, 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 definitely. And so I want to go through some things to help us get a little bit of an understanding of this. Why do bad things happen to good people? The underlying question is this. It's the question that really rocks our faith if we're not careful. It's the question that literally has the power to distance us from 
God emotionally, not distances from him. Practically, he never leaves us, amen? But emotionally, to distance us, this has that power. And it's just that if God is a God of love, why is there so much pain in the world? Lee Strobel, he was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune at one time back in the 80s. And he said this, he said, it's an intensely personal matter that can tie our emotions up into knots and leave us with spiritual vertigo, disoriented, frightened, and angry. This, uh, this question of how can a God of love let me go through this stuff, it disorients us. It, it causes us to have almost like spiritual vertigo, if you will. And, and he was explaining that it literally is the number one obstacle to those who are seeking faith. Let me ask you a question. Before you came to faith in Christ, was that an obstacle that you struggled with? Raise your hand. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's that number one obstacle that keeps people, they just, that, that struggle to know, man, how can I go through life wanting a relationship with God when things seem so evil at times? It's not an argument that we deal with now. It's not an argument that least trouble dealt with. It's an argument that goes way back. A man by the name of Epicurus, he said, either God wants to abolish evil and cannot. This is the dilemma he was wrestling with. God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can, but he doesn't want to. That's a, that's a tough thing to put your mind around. He can and he doesn't. You know? So what he would say is if he wants to and cannot, then he's impotent. Is God all-powerful? Yeah, yeah. He's not impotent, so that's not the issue here. But that's how it can feel if he can and, and if he wants to and he can, he's impotent. If he can and he does not, then he's wicked. He's evil. And I know all of you God-fearing people in here, you're saying, no, 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 I can see past that. But there's a world that this is the worldview, that if this is the case, he's either impotent or non-existent, or he is evil. And so is there another option that we can look at, you know? I mean, God can and he wants to abolish evil. I believe that. I believe that from the very beginning. But why is there evil in the first place, you know? When it comes to the idea of, of punishment, when it comes to the idea of evil, when it comes to the idea of bad things, most people have no problem with God's justice. How many there's some people in your life that you like them to experience God's justice? Yeah, Lord, bless them with a brick. You know? The key is Lord bless them, not Lord where's my brick, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's, that's the key. It's the Lord. You're asking, yeah, no. But, but that idea of justice, we have no problem with. It would be easy if the bad guys, you know, always got hit. If the bad guys always got messed up. But sometimes good folk get mixed up. We get divine justice. You're bad, and that evil needs to be dealt with, and so justice is meted out. And we get that. We understand that. You know, some in some religious cultures would call it karma. We don't believe in karma, but, but that idea... But we all know stories of drunk drivers who killed someone in an accident, and that old boy walked home. That old boy was fine. Took lives, but he didn't get justice. At least not the way you would think life for, for life. I said, what it is? I would just wish everything could be wrapped up in nice little neat philosophical packages. But natural disasters will tell you you can't do that. Because natural disasters, like tsunamis, they don't discriminate. They kill the rich. They kill the poor. They kill the Muslim. They kill the Christian. They kill the Jew. They kill the Buddhist. They kill the tall, the short. They kill the good. And what we would deem bad, they kill the bad. Natural disasters kind of mess me up because it just doesn't seem right, you know. Over one billion people in the world do not even have the necessities for life. 
This is the world that we live in. A billion. That's a, over a thousand million to try to get your brains around that. Billion, one billion doesn't sound like a thousand million sound like a lot. You know? They don't even have the necessities. There's people right now that will be born on a sidewalk, live their life on a sidewalk, and die on that same wide sidewalk in Bombay, India. Yes, they will. You know? It's just it's a world that is struggles under this, this suffering. It struggles under, yes, evil. It strong, struggles under that. And we can ask the question, well, why doesn't God care? You know? Before we answer that, I want to help you understand a little bit where this struggle came from. I want you to picture two wells, a well on this side and a well on this side. On this side, you see a well that's full of clean, clean, pure water that leads to life. On this side, you see a well that should you drink from it, it's tainted and death could ensue, at least sickness, that something is wrong with this well. And the thing is, we as mankind, we've been given this opportunity, this choice. Look at all this you can walk in. All this you can have. But in the day that you eat this, you will surely, everybody say die. In the day that you exact your choice in this, and I'm even going to give you a heads up. I'm going to tell you, this is bad. This tree over here, I'm calling it a well today, but this thing over here, it's bad. I'm going to tell you, you can have all of this, but here's an opportunity for that. But the day you do this, you're going to die. Death's going to enter into this planet. Something's going to happen. Oh, but I can't help myself. So we have this opportunity to drink deeply from our well of choice. As I said in that scripture, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. But God created us in his own image. We're not just animals that run off instinct. We're animals, not animals. We're, we're creation from God, imago Dei, made in his image. And God gifted us. With this power for creative choice. He gifted us with an ability not just to, to go off instinct purely, but to make a decision and a choice. And so that's always been the divine dilemma that God placed within man this ability to choose. And then man made a choice that obviously brought in death and suffering. And from that very moment, God would love us in such a way that he would try to bridge the gap of that suffering. Why would a God of love give us free will if he knew it would only lead to suffering. I'm going to let you understand that here. It's not logically possible to have free will and no possibility for moral evil. Can I say that again? It is not logically possible to have free will and have no ability for moral evil. Okay? You've got to be able to have free will. You've got to be able to have a choice to be able to choose this or that. And we see in Acts 2 or Genesis 2, we see very clearly, very early on in creation of man, that man was given that opportunity to make that choice. So with that, does that mean that God created evil? If God created the opportunity for man to make a choice, did God create that evil? I like what this man says, Peter Kreff from Boston College. He says, no, he created the possibility of evil. People actualize that potentiality. He said, the source of evil is not God's power, but mankind's freedom. That's, that's interesting, that God gave an option so that we would not be automatons. I must love the Savior <laughs> at all times. How, how real is that? If there's not a choice, if I'm just, I must follow him and eat and do this and do everything in his name. No, it's not real. It's not, it's not. I know, I know, that was pretty, I could go like this too. It's not, it's not real. There's got to be choice 
if you're going to experience real love. There's got to be choice. If you're going to experience all that God has, there's got to be choice. So why would God of love give us free will if he knew it would lead to suffering? Because the opposite of that reality would be a world where there is no real love. It'd be a world where there is no real passion. It would be a world where there is no real purpose. And it'd be a world where there is no real grace. I hate it that we live in a world. Why does bad things happen to good people? Because none of us are good. Apart from Jesus. And that's where the divine dilemma comes in. That God recognizes and sees, I've set these guys up with an opportunity to love fully and freely and to experience passion and to experience all that I have by a choice that they can have. So it's not coerced. It's not forced. You're not robots. It's real. But they're going to mess it up. Because we do. And when they mess it up, I'm going to be right there on the scene. I'm not going to leave them. I'm not going to forsake them. I'm going to even provide a way in such that's so powerful to solve the divine dilemma. I'm going to create a way that the sins that they've done, I will cover them with my own self, the blood of my son. And sacrifice. Again, sacrifice. What is sacrifice? It's suffering to cover this, this choice that we had, that we carelessly moved into. And so from its inception, God, I love this, suffering is the great necessary evil. It just is. But listen, from the inception, God hasn't ran from man's pain, but rather he has ran to it. God runs to our pain. Today, in a few moments, I'm going to have the band come back up. And as we do that, man, if you need prayer, if there's some things you're holding against God, if there's some things you're just struggling with that you need prayed for, you want to see victory, if there's some things you're going, I just need to lay that at the cross, there's struggles in my heart, whatever it is, there'll be an opportunity to come forward for prayer and just watch God run to your heart. Watch God interject himself into the situation that you have. You know, we were worshiping earlier about the earth groaning, and that comes from Romans 6, 22. It says, we know that the whole earth has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I don't think it's an accident that speaks of this. And the reason I don't think it's an accident is because part of the curse was the pain that would come in child labor. That was part of the curse, you know. Women, you ate the apple, it's on you. I'm just saying. No, it's part of the curse. Part of the curse, right? I think it's amazing when you think of it. Like in the story of my, my friend, Tim, who lost his life and just all the curse that was over that. But in the moment that baby was in her arms, man, it brought a lot of healing to that mama's heart. I, I think it's neat when you think about a, a mom. The pain of birth is a reminder of the suffering of this world, but it all is forgotten in that moment you have the baby in your arms. It's forgotten until they're about three. And then it's remembered, but it's forgotten. You got a little window, but it's forgotten, you know? I think it's just beautiful when you think of it that way. I think the pain, and, and, and guess what? Not just a woman who has that, that curse that she has to experience, crying out in pain, and all of a sudden, love, light, and joy shows up in the room, bundled up in that little eight-pound baby, okay? Not, not just that. Our whole earth, people, our whole earth. I'm going to kill you. You did this to me. Listen, it says the whole creation has been groaning at the birth pains of childbirth. That's what it says. 
The whole of creation has been groaning at the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And then when you go on in that scripture, speaking of the present time, is that time of redemption, that time where Jesus shows up, that time where Jesus comes into the midst of a situation and can turn that situation around. And every one of us have had those moments where it was evil to, easy to get our eyes on evil. And God was saying, look for my good, look for my light, look for my love in the midst of this, because if you'll look, you'll find it. Amen? And so, you know, when I think about folks saying in the world there's so much evil, how can there be a God? I just see God in everything, don't you? There's so much God in so many areas, so many things. You see him in that baby. You see him in the wind. You see him in the sky. You see him, man, a sunset. You see him, man, you see him in his word when he speaks to your heart. And your heart's broken, but you read the scripture, and the scripture goes from just being written text to being living word to you. And you know it's a loving God speaking to your heart. And you can see him in the midst of that. Amen? Thank you, sir. And so we know that the whole creation, everything is groaning. Everything feels this pain. But who feels this pain even more is our Savior. Who feels this pain even more is God, and he's made a way for us through it. And so if you can look and you can see Jesus in the midst of your pain, I think it brings value to that pain. And I want to look real quick, just three things. Open your Bibles to Romans 5, 1 through 5. I just want to read a scripture real quick. This is powerful. Romans 5, 1 through 5. And I just want to look at three positive things that can come out of that suffering, you know. Because, yeah, I mean, it's hard to reconcile. We can reconcile that our free will, we get it. It brings, it, it brings a well into this world where now from this well flows Things that are tainted, things that struggle, things that sickness and anger and ugliness. I get that. But what do we do with it? That's the main thing. What do we do with it? And so in Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I believe that glory is here. I believe that glory is present now, but I also believe that glory is coming. I believe that glory is coming in the sense of heaven, amen? But I also believe that God wants us to tap into a little heaven right here on earth. Amen. We pray things as they should be on earth as it is in. Everybody say heaven, amen? amen? And so that glory can come in the midst of that suffering. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As I read that passage, I think to myself, this would make a horrible, horrible sentiment card. <laughs> you know, you're going through it, and it's like you get it. It's kind of, you know, it's going to be good. This is working out something. I'm glad that you've lost your kidney, but you know what? It's all right. God's going to use this. For, don't you hate it when people, God's going to use this. Sh sh shut up. <laughs> I want to choke you out, you know. I want to drink deeply from this well <laughs> and then choke you out. And I think this scripture would frustrate me more if I didn't know Paul's life. Okay, Paul's the one that wrote this. And so I think if I didn't read this, if I read this thinking he was some sanctimonious monk, not that all monks are sanctimonious. I don't want to disparage monks. God bless monks, right? I don't have an issue against monks. Okay, so <laughs> some sanctimonious monk that's never experienced life or anything. No, no, no. Paul experienced so much, you know. He was shipwrecked, snake bit. He was beaten and scourged. He was kicked out of almost every town he went into. And he was put in jail. Most of the scripture you read Paul wrote was while he was imprisoned, right? 
And, and to give him a little more credence, all right, Nero decapitated him. This isn't good, right? Now, obviously, he wrote this before the decapitation. <laughs> Just giving you a timeline. <laughs> Just so you, so you know. So when I read this, though, I'm like, this isn't a guy that I can't relate to in some way. I mean, this guy's gone through it. He's not writing. And he's saying, yeah, God has purpose in the suffering. God can create endurance. God can create character. Everything God can use, God's not going to let a little bit be wasted if we'll lay it in his hands, you know? Everything can be used for his glory and for our benefit. And Scripture would tell us God makes a way for pain to have a purpose. It would say all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. No matter what that bad thing is, God can use it for good. And so here's three things that can come out of it. Number one, suffering gives us an opportunity to grow. It just gives us an opportunity to grow. Have you ever met somebody that never experienced hardly any, any um, struggle in their life? You know, a millennial. Um, no, not all millennials. A lot of millennials have faced it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, let's just say, it, and even us back in the day, 18, 19, 20 years old, lived up underneath mom and daddy's roof. Everything was fine. You know, no struggles. And we got selfish. And we got arrogant. And we got, like, we have it all figured out. That's why 20-somethings figured they got it all figured out. Because they don't have any pressure yet. As soon as you have pressure, you go, I have nothing figured out. Right? Right? You remember the young man that did the crime where he was being, it was, he was blaming it? I didn't know. I think they called it, was it influenza? Something to that effect. He, he, he made so much money he didn't realize how to do good or how to do bad. Really? Okay. So no stress, no pressure, no struggle. It immatures us. It, it keeps us from growing. And so great growth happens when we face great pain. And yes, God will allow us to face pain. And if we'll lean into him through it. We will grow from it. We have that choice. Do we draw close to the light? Do we draw close to him in the midst of it? Or does our bitterness and anger push us away from him? We need to draw close. Number two, suffering gives us the opportunity to be the hands of God. When there's suffering in the world, we get to work together. You've heard we do things on the mission field. We're getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic. We were in Haiti earlier in the year. You know, we have about 15 missionaries. Not about, we do. We have 15 missionaries that we support that are both local and around the world that we want to see God do great things in and through their lives and the lives of others. Many of those are in third world countries, you know, so we, we can work together and be the hands of God. A friend of mine had broke his neck dirt biking the first year we moved here. Broke my heart, you know. I rode bikes with him for years. Broke his neck, paralyzed from the neck down. And long story short, our church in Ohio, he needed not just, he, not just that he needed, they had like a loft house above a, a barn. So it wasn't that he just needed a ramp built. They needed like a little house built, you know. And that church, over a period of a few months, they built this guy a house. All these hands working together to take care of my friend Gary Kula. Now, Gary's since passed, you know. He, he lived with that for about eight, nine years and different infections and all that stuff, he finally went home. But man, I can't tell you the smile all the time that was on Gary Kula's face because he was able to see the light. He was able to see the love in the midst of everything. He looked for it. He looked for it. And he was able to see it. And that church rallied together to show what you can do with your hands. So when there's suffering in the world, suffering in the world, yeah, God says, do something about it. Work together. Do something about it. Amen. My heart breaks. I think of those like little core that, that we've lost, you know, in the Mitchell family. When they lost their little one a few years ago, man, they began to create this, this drive for cuddle cots. 
that was powerful. A cuddle cot is something that, that allows that little baby that's deceased, that was stillborn, um, that little child, to be able to be with the family longer than if they didn't have the cuddle cot. And they can mourn that loss a little bit longer, be with them a few more hours longer before that chapter is closed. They turned that tragedy into triumph. They turned it into, I, I'm, I, I, don't want, I didn't ask you ahead of time, how many cuddle cots now? Almost two cuddle cots helping little babies. Man, that's awesome. And so, so whatever that looks like, suffering, you can look at it and get bitter. Or you can go, God, what can we do with this with our hands? And then the final one, suffering gives us an opportunity to see the character of God. Let's just see the character of God. And I know to a little child, five, six years old, falling and skin in their knees, probably not to us that dramatic. But when you're six, you're dying. You know? And I just remember little Auburn, she skinned her knee up. And in the midst of it, you know, and I had told her, don't run, you know. But it wasn't the time to say, I told you so, girl. Take care of your own knee. <laughs> no, it was time for her to see the character of a daddy, see the character of a father. And so she could see that I didn't take any pleasure in her pain. God takes no pleasure in your pain when you're going through suffering. He's just a dad that wants to run in and minister and take care of you, you know? It doesn't take pleasure in it. Little Auburn, she could see that I'm capable of mending her wounds. And yeah, as I got the gravel out, the process hurt, but it was hands-on. I'm sharing in her experience and ministering and taking care of her little, her little knee, you know? Same way with us, with God. We can see his character. Let's stand to our feet as we get ready to worship. We can see his gentleness in the midst of it. Here's the thing, guys. I can't keep my daughters from experiencing pain. I can't. I just can't. But in the middle of it, I will always be there for them. And it was the same way with all those throughout history that faced pain. And I love it because you can get a glimpse of the pain of the character of the father. Think of all that Job lost. He lost so much. But then I love what he said. He goes, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, in the end, what's that mean? In the end, all this suffering that I've been through, I'm coming out of the other side of it. Pain, loss of children, loss of buildings, loss of, of, of finances, all that suffering. But in the end, I will see God. In the midst of the suffering, I'm going to get a picture and a glimpse of really who the Father is all about. So as we get ready to worship with this song, I just want you to ask yourself in your heart, you know, kind of the real question. Because I don't think the question is just can, why do bad things happen to good people? I think the real question that really comes down to it, not just why, if God's a God of love, why is there evil in the earth? I, no, I think the real question when it comes down to it is can I trust God with what's hurting me? I think that's really the question. When it comes personally, when we bring all that evil to bear upon our own heart and all that suffering to bear right here, can I trust God with what's hurting me? And at this time, those who are in prayer ministry, come forward. Our prayer partners, all of you, just come down here. We're going to have the opportunity for you to pray. And so as we go to worship, you have a choice today. You can press into worship where you find the value of God and you press into his light and his love and you see, God, there's a purpose here. I don't know what it is. If there's a purpose in my suffering, help me, Jesus, through this process. Help me through it. 
Don't let me grow bitterness in my heart. That's the, the worship side or the bitterness side. That's, that's what we have. But all I can say is we live in a fallen world. And it's such a painful thing. But just like Adam and Eve had a choice, we still have a choice. They could choose life or death. We could choose bitterness or worship. Distance or proximity to God. Run close to the Lord. still have a choice today. The one thought I had this week was really something, you know. This week, um, early in the week, a family in the church lost their little little baby in the womb. Weeks, I'm not sure how exactly how many weeks old. Lost that little one. That's so hard. At the end of the week, it kind of booked in the week for us around here at the church. Hank went to be with Jesus. Hey, one of our guys here at the church has been battling cancer for a while. And he went to be with the Lord. Now here's the thing I, I think is so neat. We can, God, why does this happen? And be so angry and frustrated. Or, yes, when it comes to Hank, I'll use him. This week, yeah, cancer. Cancer took Hank this week in a sense. And we lost Hank to cancer, but we didn't lose him to Christ. Amen. And, and the reason why I say that was because Hank wasn't a believer until about a week and a half ago. Had been coming here for a long time, engineer mind. Very hard for him to express his faith in the Lord. And through his suffering, he didn't grow bitter. He grew better. And his suffering, he had this heart that just started opening up to what God wanted to speak into his life. And we had the most beautiful conversation. No coercion, just a give and take, back and forth of him readying his heart to be with Jesus. And less than a week later, he was home with the Lord. Amen? That light, that love, right in the midst of that darkest moment. But the whole earth groans for the return of Christ. Amen? So let's right now just invite heaven into this place. If you have prayer needs, please today come to these altars and let the Lord do a work in your heart this morning. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.